data as an asset is is a theme that comes up in the conversations time in and time out. It's almost universally across size of customer, market segment, go-to-market strategy in terms of employee or independent contractor model. Data as an asset is, as a category, is a conversation that we have every day with our existing customers and our prospects. When Jeff Marsden talks about data as an asset, he's speaking from experience. As one of the co-founders of Price Metrics, a research and software firm focused on the wealth management industry, he knows that many companies need help understanding how best to leverage their data to guide their tactical and strategic planning. The road to success is paved with data, has turned out to be true in more ways than one. I spoke with Jeff about what his company, Extiva's clients, are talking about, how they align their data to match their ambitions, how firms can dig out from under a mountain of tech debt, and more on this episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. It's a fantastic day in the wonderful world of Wealth Tech. Welcome to episode 81 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We're experts in wealth management technology, operations, and strategy. We deliver growth-oriented solutions to broker-dealers, banks, asset managers, RIA aggregators, and especially to their technology providers through our premium advice and targeted market analysis. On this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the wealth management industry, who are on the leading edge of technology and innovation. When you have a moment, please head over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. You will be rewarded with regular updates and excellent thought leadership content. Before I kick off this episode, I'd like to tell you about an announcement that just went public. Ezra Group is partnering with Extiva, the leading provider of sales performance management technology in the financial services industry. We will be offering consulting services designed to help enterprise wealth management firms optimize and streamline their performance data architecture so they can better prepare to implement advisor compensation platforms like Extiva. You can learn more about our consulting services and read the full announcement on our website, EzraGroupLLC.com or at Extiva.com, which is X-T-I-V-A. And I'm happy to introduce my guest for this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. I have Jeff Marsden, Chief Product and Strategy Officer for Extiva Financial Systems. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. I'm glad you can make it. And uh, Jeff, you were calling in from Toronto, beautiful Toronto, Canada. Yes, I am. I miss Toronto and I miss traveling. (laughs) I miss New York, so touche. And I miss seeing you in all different cities. We used to be able to meet in San Francisco and Florida and all over the place. There used to be a thing called events, but I don't <laughs> know what happened to those. <laughs> gone, gone, gone. Nothing we can do about it. So, Jeff, can you please give us the 30-second elevator pitch for Extiva? Absolutely. So, Extiva's a um, performance management platform for financial services firms. We grew out of uh, compensation processing. And we help um, a variety of organizations, mostly in the wealth uh, management and insurance space, uh, manage the success of their distribution systems. That includes compensation, performance intelligence, 
um, some enablement capabilities driven by uh, machine learning, um, as well as uh, a change management and, uh, and, and talent management um, uh, consulting practice. So I like how you call it, when we used to call it um, advisor compensation, but now you're calling it performance intelligence. What's the difference? Uh, well, you know, compensation is still part of the mix, Craig, but, um, you know, the, the, the key here is that um, it's important to recognize that, that compensation, um, you know, it's an, it's an, it's an incentive and it's an incentive that drives an economic system, it happens to be an a system that's, you know, internal to the, to the organization, but it's incentives are critical to the economic system um, and getting your, getting your incentives right is is absolutely you know obviously critical everyone everyone knows that but the answer to what is right comes back to what's the performance you're trying to achieve um, within the organization or to support your staff in achieving because obviously they have their own uh, ambitions and needs and in the particularly in the wealth and insurance space there's a lot of um, you know franchise behavior or agency behavior um, that's important to the success of those of that channel. Um, so, so when we say performance intelligence or performance uh, platform, um, we're talking about how do you use the tools that are available to you, compensation, uh, insight into the performance of the organization, enablement capabilities to force multiply the results that you get out of your distribution system, making advisors happier, and ultimately, customers happier too if they're if they're getting more and better uh, uh, time with with their advisor. You mentioned uh, customers and advisors. So, with your customers uh, in the uh, financial services industry using your software, what are some of the things they're telling you? What what are the trends you're seeing in the space? Yeah, sure. So, um, and just to you know, our, our, our customers, we work with about 100 uh, customers across North America. Um, the largest is um, in the, in, you know, north of 10,000 uh, frontline uh, financial advisors and the smallest is probably uh, count on your hand, uh, the number of advisors. So we see a, a really broad range um, and organizations that I would say are uh, offering a, a more fulsome um, package of products and services and some that are very narrowly focused on on a, on a deep expertise uh, or, a deep, or a deep focus on a particular product area. But almost universally across that population, um, you know, they, they're, they're talking to us because they have a need to either remunerate their people or, their, or they have an aspiration around uh, driving uh, further performance out of the distribution system. But the conversations today, the conversations over the last 18 to 24 months, um, you know, some of them have been, they've been more over Zoom of late than they have been face to face. But, but I'll tell you, Craig, data as an asset is, is a theme that comes back to, you know, comes up in the conversations time in and time out. Uh, it's almost universally across size of customer, market segment, um, go to market strategy in terms of employee or independent contractor model. Data as an asset is, is uh, as a category, is a conversation that we have every day with our existing customers and our prospects. It can mean a lot of things, but, but I, would, I would suggest this. Um, 
organizations realize that um, being able to think more broadly about their data, that data that they have in their control, that they can bring into their control, how to organize it, but how to really extract value from it and empower uh, their advisors in particular, but more broadly, but also broadly the organization, um, you know, is becoming a top of mind, um, you know, a, a top of mind consideration um, for them. It seems like it would be top of mind. It seems like it would be something that they need to have. How can they better leverage their data? How can they extract value? It's something every firm has. But it's sort of like a buried in the ground. It's like gold buried in your backyard and you don't even know it's there. They just have to dig it up. But how do you help them? So how do you help them, as we yeah. were talking earlier, how do you help them figure out how to make, get their data to match the ambitions they want as a business? Yeah, so so the so I like I like your analogy of being buried in the you know buried in the ground, um, and and it, it you know, the, the organizations have a ton of data and, and they use it incredibly effectively in a lot of areas where they've struggled to use it or haven't necessarily marshaled the necessary resource to get it organized as an asset has been in how the front office or the distribution system um, you know has been you know has been managed um, and uh, and enabled. So it starts with clarity around what your strategy is. And we talk a lot at Exteva about ultimately connecting your strategy all the way through to execution. And data is really the common thread that enables you to do that effectively to understand um, how to, um, yeah, uh, how, how to align your tactics to the strategy and, and how to, to support the execution at the front line. We, challenge our customers and we enable our customers fundamentally to answer a few questions and there's a bit of a, there's a sort of a cascade or a sort of logical flow to that which is and this is not rocket science like how am i doing do you do you really know how you're doing and not in the tradition not necessarily in the traditional sense which is how many widgets did i push through the system today but were they the right widgets did they go to the right place were they creating value in the long term um, and, and, and that leads to the next question, which is how should I be doing and ensure you have a good frameworks around thinking about how I, sh how I should be, how I should be doing as an organization or an individual within that organization. We can talk a little bit perhaps in a, in a, in a minute around, um, understanding the taxonomy of, of users, um, in terms of, in terms of their ability to consume information and respond to it but but let me finish um this this the third level of that is what can be done and now we're getting into the the tailoring of of the execution of the organization um, which leads to the the how do you do it at the end of the day like if you think about the common aspect of most of these businesses is and it, it doesn't really matter whether you're talking about a uh, you know, more a more um, a bank with more guardrails and how it goes to the market versus a um, an independent contractor model that has fewer guardrails. At the end of the day, it's the agency of those advisors that's the power in the the power in the organization. It's also it it also is um, can be be challenging. That agency can be challenging when you're trying to bring a strategy to life. Because you've, 
you the, the more agency that exists in that distribution force, the more opportunity there is for them to find opportunities to pursue opportunities, but also for deviation from what the from where the strategy is. And when the organization's the one largely marshalling the capital, of course you want to you want to align that to um, to the strategy. So when you talk about agency of advisors is a power for the organization, you mean the ability of the uh, the advisors to to innovate, to do new things, to change yeah. direction. What what exactly do you yeah. mean agency? Yeah. So let me think. Um, Look, at the end of the day, agency is the, the power for them to decide who they deal with and how they deal with them, largely. But it manifests itself in the form of innovation around how they market. It manifests in the form of ser customer service models. It, it manifests in the form of um, approaches to pricing. It, it manifests itself in the form of how they use tools. Uh, and I think if we were to probably, and, and you and I certainly know a lot of financial advisors, Craig, but I think if we were to randomly pick 12 financial advisors and bring them into the studio um, and talk to them about financial planning, I would bet we would get 12 different answers about how they use financial planning. And I'm not saying it should be consistent. I'm not saying there's a universal approach, but those 12 different variants on how they use financial planning is a result of that, the power of that agency. Yeah, it is true. You know, I think Eric Clark from Orion said, if you meet, when you've met one advisor, you've met one advisor. You know, they've, they've all it's, it's, it's an interesting point. We've, we've, we've been working very hard at Steve over the last few years to, to um, uh, we launched a cloud native platform called Xtiva cloud a few years back and, and all of our capabilities now sit um, in that, in that Xtiva cloud um um, on that Xiva Cloud platform, one of the things that we did with our reward application, so our compensation toolkit for, for be best described it, is to ensure that organizations could actually manage in a relatively scalable fashion compensation plans of one. And I'm not saying they need to do compensation plans, like if you had a thousand advisors, you have a thousand compensation plans, but there's an acknowledgement that in some organizations or some go to markets, uh, uh, the way that some organizations go to market, a high degree of flexibility around supporting that agency is critical. The uniqueness of those practices, those businesses. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of ways to, to skin a cat there and a lot of ways to, to set up your systems, but let's go back to data as an asset. What are some of the other things yeah. doing with your clients, how they're using data or how they're asking you to be able to use their data. I mean, I mean, they probably want more of it. And how do you help them get that data out of the system into your system, then back out to the systems that can yeah. actually Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. We have those conversations every day. Um, you know, I, I had one at three o'clock yesterday. I'm gonna have one at four o'clock today. Um, so so um, it's top of mind you know very well the ecosystem that exists for wealth management and insurance. It's incredibly complicated. It's incredibly diverse. Data sits in all manner of places formally. It also sits informally all over the place, including a ton of customer information that resides natively in the practice of the financial advisor. And it's rich, powerful information. And organizations are starting to think about that. And they're thinking about it, the thought, the ones, the really thoughtful ones around around how do I 
make my data a better asset to me as a business are thinking about it in the terms in terms of what problem what questions do I want to be able to answer and when they challenge themselves about what pro, what problems or what questions I want to be able to answer the scope of information that you would you would if you allowed your creativity uh, free reign the scope of information that you would want to have reliably and trustably at your fingertips to deploy to answer those questions goes you know, probably magnifies by five to 10 times what is typically available to firms today in their normal operating environment. So the conversations we have focus on really three things um, with, our, with our firms, which is, and we can talk about the, the tools and the strategy that they're embracing, but, the, but sort of coming back to, they, we have lots of conversations about how do we help them find and bring more data into their performance environment? And whether you want to use that for the purposes of compensation or you want to use it for the purposes of understanding the performance, the behavior of the organization from a performance perspective, the performance of the distribution system, it, the, the, the approach or answers may be different, um, but you're, you're still thinking about it from the perspective of, of, of how do I uh, put myself in a position of um, I, I, some of my colleagues don't like it when I say this word, but how do I put myself in a position of weaponizing my data? That, that's powerful. The, it is, yeah. Um, uh, so the the second question that comes about is, well, okay, so I've got I've I, I can think more broadly about where it is, and how now how do I get it? How do I make it available? And one of the things that we um, that, that arose out of a number of customer conversations three or four years ago was the importance of an integration platform for for getting uh, for wrangling data and wrangling in a re reliable fashion or to maybe make it sound a little bit more uh, a little less wild west is how to domesticate data effectively so we built a platform called exceva connect which is designed just to uh, solve that problem, which is to easily get information in and out of, of our application uh, or our platform for our customers. It's an iPaaS uh, integration platform. Um, lots of there, you know, there's several out there. It's a it's an area of a lot of investment for many organizations, but it was critical for us to be able to respond to the needs of our customers. So, what is the data? Think about it more broadly. Think about it in a very creative in a creative sense, and try to try to think about it in terms of problem or question use cases that you want to be able to to respond to in addition to the normal oper the, the need to do normal uh, sorry in addition to the need to use it for operational purposes how do i how do i domesticate the data second question third issue third conversation point is how do i get it to the right places so some let's assume some magic it gets into Xtiva and some magic happens inside of Xtiva. Um, remember, this conversation is in the context of of a, a you know discussion between us and our clients. Um, maybe it's been used for compensation. Maybe it's been used for um, some some you know some next best move type of enablement um, algorithms or some forecasting capability. But how do I put it in a spot that the users are going to easily be able to access it and make use of it? And this is the this is an a uh, this is a, a frequently um, underappreciated 
aspect of, of what organization, we believe organizations should attend to, which is to really think very carefully about what information they need to present to whom and where. And the where is the piece that people forget. There's a tendency to follow the path of least resistance. Well, just put it to place that we can get it to easiest. And quite bluntly, that's the lazy answer. The, the best answer is meet the user where the user best should be. Get them the information that they need where they, where they best should be. And, 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 the, and whether that's a financial advisor or someone in an operation, operational role or a finance person or a coach, I don't really care. They're all going to have a unique need and a unique spot where they should best be. And that could be described as an application. It could be described as a device. It could be described, there's a variety of ways of describing it, but that's the critical piece that a lot of organizations fail to invest adequately in is figuring out how to get it to the, get it to the users in the right place. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about one of my favorite charities, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. Invest in Others is a nonprofit that supports and empowers financial advisors who give back to their communities with overwhelming generosity. Now in its 15th year, Invest in Others has raised and distributed millions of dollars to worthy charities that are run by or assisted by financial advisors both in the U.S. and abroad. The Invest in Others Foundation is kicking off 2021 with a restock of the shelves campaign. This past year, demand for food from nonprofits was at an all-time high. Last year, more than 50 million people experienced food insecurity. Now that the holiday season has ended, supplies at many food banks and shelters have dropped, but demand has not. To help restock the shelves, Invest in Others will award grants of up to $20,000 to nonprofits who are fighting hunger in their communities. If you work in the financial services industry and also volunteer for a 501c3 nonprofit that's in need of food items, apply for a grant from the Invest in Others Foundation on its behalf. They want to help you restock the shelves in your community this January. Applications will be accepted now through Friday, February 5th at investinothers.org forward slash grants. So if you want to put your uh, 501c3 nonprofit's name in for a grant of up to $20,000, please go to investinothers.org forward slash grants. Invest in Others provides a platform for financial advisors, their employees, and their firms to increase awareness, visibility, and funding for their favorite nonprofits. Over the past 14 years, Invest in Others has given more than $3 million to 300-plus charities across a variety of causes, including health and wellness, education and youth programs, arts and culture, hunger and poverty prevention, and military veterans and more. For more information, please visit investinothers.org. Uh, follow them on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and please make a donation and check if your company will match your donations. You'll double the benefit. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. It seems as though that's something that every firm should want. They want the data to be where the users can get to it. They want to uh, have it in the right places. But it seems like yep. a lot of firms aren't doing that because they're just too busy doing their job and getting things done to really have a, a data architecture or data policy across the organization. I mean, how, how do you recommend that clients do that? I mean, they, I imagine a lot of firms have 
a, a shotgun approach for operations when it comes to compensation and performance management? How do you get them to organize their thoughts and organize as a single comprehensive unit? Yeah, good, really good good question or, or collection of questions there, Craig. So so first of all, I think part of the reason that we end up in the situation we're in is 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 sort of twofold. One is there's a lot of old tech out there. There's a lot of tech that that that's accumulated and is and is hard to unwind. Um, you know and 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 then sometimes the large organizations have not not a, a not that problem in a linear fashion relative to the small ones but a but an but an exponential fa- problem in, in relative to the smaller customers so there's just there's just a debt problem which com, which constrains even the most ambitious organizations sometimes in that regard also and you've written about this you've you monitor this space perhaps you know as 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 best as anybody does, which is there's an awful lot of really compelling capabilities out there in the wealth tech and fintech space. And a lot of organizations have added some really great tech to their platform uh, to, to help their users, whoever that, whatever that user is. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that all of those decisions that were made to add, you know, this tool or that tool were probably all very well made in the context of, wow, that's, that does solve a problem that we have. But that explosion of capabilities is also, also means that, that users are now asked to fight through in some respects, uh, uh, you know, a menu of, you know, a menu of choices about what they should do. And sometimes, in fact, all too often, um, friction, user user experience or user experience friction arises uh, because of that plethora of, of capabilities. So, so you know, there's some foundational issues that are there that 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 you know, can can and should be thought through. Um, and 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 you know, to your point is like, how do you how do you invest in the right sort of consolidation strategy for for that? And we would say that, that a couple of things. One, don't assume that there's only one place. So there could be different places in different contexts. There could be different reasons for a user to be in a in a spot under different contexts. So figure out what information is powerful for them in each of those places and make it available there. Two. If you do not have a design thesis internally around aspiring to close to you know to aspiring to zero friction in terms of the user experience, your your design thesis is missing a big and important aspect because friction either uh, steals value from the user in terms of they're not able to bring their value to the end user because they're busy being frictioned, um, expending expending time or energy on friction. Um, or it wears them down, <clears throat> and they are incentivized to not use something. So, the importance of of identifying removing friction as much as possible can't be can't be um, um, sort of underappreciated. That's a big and buzzword. The third, though, isn't, it? isn't friction, friction a buzzword? We hear that all the time. We we want to get sure. we want to remove friction. We want to get rid of friction. We want to have a frictionless user experience. But yep. what does that really mean? Well, so. I think about it in this fashion. Uh, enterprise has done a pretty poor job relative to consumer in the user experience. So the ease with which you can 
you can in you know interact with a with a you know a, a something on your phone or on your on your you know the computer screen. Um, the the ease with which the functionality is delivered for for much of the new consumer tech would be better uh, sort of representation of a lower friction or zero friction sort of environment or experience. But basically, it's this: um, you want to you you want to enable the user to accomplish their goal with as few actions as possible. Actions includes clicks, copies and paste. Quite frankly, it includes thinking. An interesting example of low friction would be, and this is perhaps a bit of a stretch from a wealth tech perspective, but you know the ease with which you can get an Apple credit card today would be very would be an example of an incredibly low friction experience. It's basically a click. The ease and of five minutes later, it's in your wallet, right? the ease with which you can do things. So the final piece of the of the puzzle, Craig, is incentives. Mm. And when, when I say incentive, because I come from Extiva, which grew up 20, for over the last 20 years of being an incentives or, or a commission processing, incentives processing organization, people automatically assume I'm talking about paying people to do something. And I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not necessarily when it's important to think about how you, as an organization, create incentives for your users to embrace the tools that you're giving them or embrace the services or capabilities that you're making available to them. And that could be in the form of, of remuneration. It can be in the form of, quite frankly, friction is a contra-incentive. There's not nothing wrong with a little bit of friction if you don't want someone to go somewhere but you don't want to take it away from them either right so um uh, you know i'll remember i remember um many years ago the uh, head of a private client uh organized this is a previous previous life but the head of a private client business said to me once it's it's about the mouse hole you leave not the mouse hole you take away meaning Household? An important thing, yeah. So that, then he was he was referring to uh, encouraging advisors, encouraging wealth advisors to go in a particular fashion to do to embrace a particular kind of business. And his comment to me was really reflective. Think about the mouse hole that we leave, not mm -hmm. the ones we take away, because the that we want we would want to encourage the path through that mouse hole, less about the fact that we're closing off the other one. So that's why I say friction can be a contra, contra incentive. But information, people respond to, I mentioned taxonomy of about 10 minutes ago. Users or, or advisors or operators all respond differently to tools. Uh, taxonomies are used in all, in all manner of things. Perhaps the single best known or, or, or more, most advanced application is in gaming. Where, where you know games are designed around specific uh, uh, different taxonomies of of, of uh, or taxonomy of, of uh, gamer behavior. Well, the same thing happens with users uh, or or employees or operators in a in a in a financial services context. Advisors are interested in different things. Some of them. Some of them aspire to different outcomes. Some of them respond to different things. So if you're going to create a really compelling 
technical environment that's going to leverage your data really effectively, thinking through the incentives around how you do that and how you enable that and how you encourage that can't be underestimated. If you want people to, if you want your users to embrace a particular tool, think about how you incentivize them to do that. Yes, they should be thinking about that. That's a, you need to take a step back from your daily grind and from crises and pandemics and really think about how you're incentivizing people. Uh, one other right. thing I wanted to ask you about was um, the, uh, how does the data enrichment change how you bring value to market? So this is something you mentioned earlier. So if you understood the tool better, um, you could do more. So can you explain how that, how you, you help your clients with that? Sure. So um, you know, maybe an easy way to, a, a compartmentalized way to describe it is if maybe if we um, think about that in terms of, of, actually let's think about it in terms of compensation. So, um, so if we were to wind the clock back, say five years, most of the conversations we'd be having with the market would be about how do we ensure that the breadth of products and to some extent the services, but primarily the breadth of products that our financial advisors are offering to the market can be compensated on adequately. And that would typically be in the form of some variation on revenue sharing, right? Which is simply the customer is producing a revenue stream and the advisor is, taking a, is getting a piece of it and the firm is getting a piece of it. And, and who's supporting that business and you know, ultimately defines that split. But today, custom companies are thinking about it differently. They're thinking about that data and how to enable that, how to enable the data in the hands of the advisor. And, and they're starting to think about it in terms of, well, how do we understand how, in, how the customer is doing in the mix? Is the customer happy? Is the customer engaged? Are we, do, are, do we have evidence of a, of, of respond, of, 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 of a long-term focus, you know, on, on that, on that customer relationship? So it's a ta it's a small or tactical example, Craig, of the you know, sort of the, the area that you're you're you were exploring here, which is how do you how do we um, help our organizations, how do we help our customers take that breadth of data and and turn it into something that can be practically used or practically enabled at the front line, and anyway, and so so our compensation history sort of betrays a, a, a bias in that area, but but you know very. But you can you can certainly um, you know go beyond that and look at the import understand the importance of benchmarking, um, understand the importance of of forecasting and prediction um, to to help prioritize um, areas of areas of focus or areas of attention, um, which doesn't necessarily mean always addressing the underperforming. It can also be you know here's an area where we seem to be getting outlier positive performance, we should double down on that. That's really useful, I think. I think that's helpful for a lot of firms looking to organize their data better, especially around compensation and incentives and, uh, and these types of programs. You know, I've got a lot more questions, but we're at the uh, end of our rope here for this particular episode. And I want to have you back so we can, we can keep going because this has been really helpful. Uh, Jeff, where can um, people find you and your company? Uh, well, we're at extiva.com, X-T-I-V-A.com. It's our website, and you can uh, certainly reach out to us um, there. 
um, or uh, or on LinkedIn. The good news is Steve is a pretty rare name, so um, when you when you Google us or search us on LinkedIn, it 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 pops up. Um, and you can find me on um, on on Twitter, Jeff underscore Marston at uh, 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 on on Twitter is a not a bad way to reach me. Awesome, Jeff. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Greg. Great chat. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. Uh, data as an asset, you can't say it better. How do you leverage your data? Uh, it's great to hear what um, some of Jeff's thoughts about how to extract value from data, how to match your ambitions, your data to match your ambitions, uh, and really to use data to answer some very simple questions. How am I doing? How should I be doing? What can be done? All good things to think about when you're looking at your data architecture, your underlying data infrastructure, and thinking about where you're going to be going with uh, with that. Uh, one of the things we work on with a lot of our clients is looking at the data and looking at the downstream analytic systems that that data needs to be available for. What do those firm? What do those systems need? How do we get it to them? Uh, and how do we focus on delivering the data as quickly and as effectively as possible with the fewest steps in between? Uh, and tech debt. Again, another area that we focus on uh, at Ezra Group, uh, broker-dealers and other firms come to us with tremendous tech debt, especially firms that have a lot of mergers and acquisitions over, over years or even decades. They build it up, and it's difficult to, to, uh, to get rid of it, especially because it doesn't directly impact revenue. Uh, it reduces expenses, and it reduces uh, you know, manual processes and errors, which lead to more expenses, but sometimes... Um, Senior management doesn't see that as a priority and tends to kick the can down the road. So great to hear Jeff's thoughts on how to reduce tech debt. And that's it for this episode, episode 80. Wow, 80 episodes. Seems like just yesterday we started this podcast, but we're up to episode 80 now. And when you have a moment, uh, if you're not driving in your car while you're listening to this episode, uh, when you get back, when you get the car off and you uh, get your phone in your hand, uh, please head over to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com, and sign up for our newsletter. You'll be rewarded with regular updates and excellent thought leadership content. That's all for now. Talk to you all again next time.